0: Well, doesn't that make you look forward to a uh, night of worship? Because that's going to be a really cool event, and um, we always enjoy that a lot. And I think it's one of those kind of events that if you have a friend, and maybe they're not connected to a local church or even to anything spiritual, and they maybe don't think about God a lot, there's something about Christmas where people's hearts open up a little bit. Have you noticed that? I mean, I was even that way before I knew Christ. There was, some, there was something. something that brings out a vulnerability about Christmas, and it's a good time, and that's going to be a great night. So I encourage you, to, if you got a friend that might not ordinarily come to something churchy, that that might be a good thing to come and just to listen to some songs. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving, and a lot of our folks are still traveling back. Uh, I read somewhere that the Monday after Thanksgiving is one of the toughest times for to get kids up and going to school and everything because they don't want to you know they're used to the whole weekend they've been eating and watching football for several days and then to get up and go to work and school is kind of tough so we'll all just pray for each other in the morning uh, when everybody gets back in we had such a great time uh, together this year and uh, we we've become the house that you go to instead of you know loading everybody up and traveling we're the place. And we we enjoy that so much. We had such a great time. I've told you a little bit about how we celebrate Thanksgiving. This is our Ebenezer jar uh, in the Old Testament. There are these events uh, that were commemorated, and they didn't have a lot around them where they could build a statue of somebody. So what they would do is just raise this mound of stones because it wasn't going to go anywhere. It was, it was going to be there for a long time, just rocks. And they would just Put this pile there and and then when people would come by, maybe kids would say, Dad, what's that pile of stones about? And go, Oh, that's our Ebene that's an Ebenezer. This is where this took place. Well, we kind of picked up on that idea, and uh, some of you this you're gonna think it's a little corny, maybe what we do, but we have this jar and it's out all year long. And then on Thanksgiving, everybody gets a rock. Uh, this is Rachel's rock, and I'm just going to read it. No, I'm not. I might. Okay, no, it's just some real on her rock. There's just a lot of just really, really embarrassing things. So I'm not going to. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, we take a rock and we write on on the on that uh, what we're particularly thankful for. Maybe something special this year that we're really thankful for. And then th- we do this after we've eaten and we're all still sitting around the table and we're a little bit of a daze and we're kind of woozy, but we all write this. And it's always this really sweet time. Sometimes it's funny. Uh, sometimes it's very touching. This year was kind of a tearful year for us. I don't know why particularly, but it, was just, it just was. Um, and we're just filled with gratitude. And we realized as we kind of went around, and now we've done this several years, you can see our jar is getting kind of full, and we're going to have to get a bigger jar. Uh, but each one of these rocks has something written on it, and there's just so much that we're thankful for, and it just becomes a reference point. It becomes a place we can go to because you forget. You forget about, oh, wow, well, I forgot when God gave me my first jar, or when you graduated, or when this happened, and we got a new home. And those are special things, and we really appreciate all that, you know, we do and that God's done for us and we look back. But um, this year we just sort of had this moment where we realized that although those kind of things change and come and go, that every year, I think on just about every rock, there's somebody's name written. There's somebody that we love who's come to Christ or you know, I think all of us wrote Riley's name this year. We have this new, new edition, the first of the next generation is in our home now. And, and we all wrote something like that on there. But there's, there's all these people. And it kind of hit us that we absolutely appreciate getting a car after you've saved. Or, but it's the people, it's the relationships that we have that we're the most thankful for year after year. We were thinking last night about this, um, you know, we had several fires in our community, one pretty close to where we live, and the family's home just burnt. I just think, wow, right after Thanksgiving, uh," you know, just kind of something sentimental about that, and just how you can just lose absolutely so much. But we have each other. We have each other. And that's kind of the thought that we had um that we have one another, and that 's what 's important. Folks, we come into the world naked and broke, <laughs> and you may be a lot more dressed up when you go out, uh, but we 're just as broke. All the money you can earn, all the stocks you can buy, all the mutual funds you can trade this is what i've realized after going to and speaking at a lot of funerals it's all just smoke and mirrors you don't take any of that with you the only thing that i can think of that i'm going to take with me to heaven are the people that i've loved and the people that i've come To see and know Jesus in their lifetime. And that maybe, maybe, maybe I had just a little bit to do with that. I was just one of the links in the chain. That's what you're going to take. So I guess what I want to do this morning is just to get you to try to reconsider how you're doing your life and making your life something that you give. Make it this one long gift for others, instead of just this endless process of accumulating more and more things that you're not even going to get to keep. My mom was kind of a pack rat, is what we say, Um, and the the most terrible place, it's like, you know, she had just this, like, addiction of keeping things, and uh, and to make it worse, she was a manager at a U store, storage rental place, and they give you one free unit. When my mom passed away, she had filled, check it out, three units from floor to ceiling. And it was just stuff. You know, and I'll never forget undoing that lock and, and you know, rolling that door up and just looking at that. And it was just and I just, in my heart, I kind of smiled, and I'm I'm kind of overwhelmed thinking, oh my goodness, now what do I do with all this? This is my inheritance, you know, and and it was just stuff that she had collected through the years, and there's not that much sentimental about it, and really, to be honest with you, not a lot of value to it. And I just looked at it, and I just kind of smiled, and I just thought, mom, <laughs> these were your treasures, and now it's our Junk. I did one of the biggest, most gracious things. This, you're gonna I was so generous. I just, I looked at my little sister and I said, "You know, I just want you to have all this." I did, and she was so grateful, and she just cried and hugged me, and she goes, "No, no, this is yours." I said, "No, I want you to have it. I want you. It's." I love you. I want you to have it. And she says, oh, thank you. Months later, she would call and say, and you left me here with all this junk. (laughs) She realized. uh, I think she still got it. I didn't want to bring all that stuff back to Knoxville and put it in my basement with all of our junk because we've been busy collecting junk through. You know, I mean, is that really it? Guys, is that what our life's going to be about? No, there's... You know, there's two kinds of people in the world. There's givers and there's takers. Uh, there's askers and there's tellers. And I think it's better at the end of your life, and it, and it points along your life, where you can be identified as a person who asks. Where you can be seen as someone who gives. And not just absorbs. And not just takes. We have the power to pass along our life into the next generation. We have the power to make a difference. We have the power to change things. And why should we refuse to do that? Because we're going to take it with us? It's just not going to happen. Right now we have this power to do more good than you ever dreamed just with your life. Now there's a dark side to giving that kind of pull, it's like a, holds us back it's this gravitational pull and and what that gravitational pull is is greed it's just greed greed is a natural tendency we all wrestle with to accumulate more stuff for ourselves and then to hang on to it and if you're not really careful and you don't even know it happens you don't even realize it's it's taking place that's what we do. That's what we end up doing. So what I want to do, that's like the negative side. I want to look at the positive side. I'm a positive kind of guy. So we're going to look at the positive side of generation, uh, of um, generosity, and that's the motivation for it. Why would I do that? Why would I want to live generously? Why would I engage in generous living? Because I've already figured out, and it took me longer than most people, that you're going to experience m- so much more as a giver than you will as a getter as a taker, and these rewards primarily involve the impact that your giving is going to have on the lives of all these other people. Some people you'll never know uh, about that. Some people you will and you'll get to see glimpses of that, Um, but with others you'll only see when you get to heaven. Now Jesus talks about this. He talks about the rewards of giving in this parable in Luke chapter 16. And it's kind of a difficult uh, passage. It's a parable that if you ever take religion classes, you'll eventually have to write about this because uh, Jesus, uh, it's not that difficult to understand. It's just a little strange. It's just kind of weird. It seems out of character because Jesus presents this shady character Uh, to teach us virtuous truths. And you think, really, that's your role model? That's the guy you're going to hold up to us? And he does, and about all these benefits of being generous. And you'll see what I mean uh, as you follow along in your Bible. For some of you, this may be a familiar uh, passage. And this is it. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. <laughs> He's like, I'm not going back to manual labor. I'm ashamed to beg. As to Im- I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. Check this out. This is brilliant. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. And then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill, make it 800 the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than they are with the people of light. And I'll tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Wow, what an unusual way to teach something, a principle. We're going to see there's three lessons that are tucked away in this story uh, that we're going to look at today, and that's this. Be wise, be trustworthy, and be devoted. Be wise, be trustworthy, and be devoted. Be wise, your translation may title this section and those little headings before, you know, each, each little part, The Parable of the Shrewd Manager. That's what this particular Bible says. Uh, my ESV Bible, which is kind of my go-to, says The Parable of the Dishonest Manager. And I don't like that so much because those terms are kind of derogatory. And Jesus portrays this guy positively. And I, you know, I think, okay, how do you reconcile that? Well, he draws a principle from this man's life for us. In verse 8, Jesus says the owner of this business actually commends the guy. He, he just kind of maybe reluctantly says, you know what, i got to hand it to you. That was pretty good. That was a good move that you just did. So I, I like the word shrewd because I think this is what's going on the dictionary defines shrewd as being marked by clever discerning awareness and this guy demonstrates this street level uh, practical hard-headed savoir-faire uh, he, he you know he, and you may be you know you listen to this story and you're thinking well he sounds kind of like a crook to me <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I would make him look too good but there's it's a guy who knows he's about to be out of work and he calls in the people uh, who owe his boss money, and he shaves something off every one of their bill, you know, all their bills. He cooks the books. He, he, he loses his boss out of a little bit of his profit, and there's a profit margin the boss has given him and said, I need to make between this and this. This is my reserve. This is as low as I can go on this, and this, you know, I'm going to be really happy. Anything over this See, here's this zone. He goes, anything over this, you you keep above that. That's your commission. That's kind of how that works. And I think that really helps in interpreting this story if you know something about the way business worked and the practices in Jesus' day. A manager was given a lot of liberty uh, by his boss to add that commission onto the price of goods that are being sold. He would set that price, and then the manager could tag on Whatever else, the you know, additional amounts, he thought he could get for his commission. And these guys became pretty well-to-do uh, by that practice. The manager was probably, this is what I, I kind of think, he's calling in his customers one by one, and he's doing two things. One, in that margin of profit, he's lowering his boss's margin, and he's saying, okay, I know he'll, this is okay, he'll take that. So, I'm automatically going to drop to that. And then he's forfeiting his commission on each one of these goods. That's why it's not the same all the way across. You know, each one he goes, Oh, you take this much, you take this much. And what he's doing is he's adjusting that all along the way and giving up his commission because he's in a, he's in a tough place now and he's going to let that go. He's going to risk it uh, to get in good with these people. So, he's not exactly being dishonest. He's just being shrewd. By giving everybody a discount and everybody can pay off their, ca- their debts, he's also created this immediate influx of cash for his boss. You know, there's these people go, oh, you know what, next month, prom- can I just give you this much? And, and all of a sudden, he, he goes back to his boss and he goes, hey, look what I got. Everybody paid up. And here's your money. Not as much as you wanted, but you got it right now. You got it all. Everybody paid. The guy's like, oh, that feels kind of good. I like that. So that's what he. That's what he did, and he gained something instead of the, just the commission. Something more important than his commission, he got friends who are going to welcome him now with wide open arms when he loses his job, and he comes back around and goes, "Yeah, I got sacked. I got, I lost my job, and part of it was because, you know, I gave you such a." awesome deal there at the end you know and people going yeah that really helped me out I was able to make budget and wow you know what I've got a position for you in my company I mean he's got lots of friends now so Jesus takes that idea and he applies it to us and there's a principle and before I tell you what the principle is let's see who Jesus is talking to who's he addressing in this story because Jesus would often tell these parables, and I love that he did that. That he, he's, he's always, you know, they would ask him something complex, and Jesus would say, there was a man, you know, he's always going into these stories. Uh, and he, but he would tell it to a mixed crowd. There's some committed followers there, there's skeptics, there's people who are curious, there's some folks who are just kind of kicking the tires, they're not sure about this, and there's always, of course, some enemies, some critics who are listening to him and not buying in. But according to verse 1 in this chapter, he's telling this parable to just the disciples. It's just his guys. Jesus tells the story to faithful followers, I think, purposely for a reason. He's not telling it to a general crowd because they're not going to get it. They're not going to understand that. In fact, they're going to think Jesus' principle is ludicrous. And this is just ridiculous. They would think, I'm not going to do that with my money. I'm not going to give my money away. That doesn't make any sense at all. But if you're a Christ follower, uh, this is probably going to resonate with you because you understand, at least on some level, right, this idea of giving, of giving. It's wise for you to give money to efforts that lead people to faith in Jesus, because these people will end up in God's eternal kingdom, and one day you're going to get there, and they're going to welcome you with open arms. They're going to say, you're the lady who gave this. You're the man who made this possible for us. So we're generous, and our generosity is focused. Uh, There's no value, I don't think, in just giving money away just to give money away. And you see those things sometimes where somebody just takes money and they start walking down the street and they just give it to people. I mean, there's something kind of cool about that. But I don't know. That's not really where my heart is. I don't think there's a lot of benefit in giving to the wrong cause or just to give it away to give it away. And, uh, uh, for example, there's a lady named Maria Asunta. And when she passed away, according to this news magazine, she was very wealthy. She was a real estate investor. And according to her will, her fifteen million dollar estate was to be left entirely to Tomasino, her cat. Yeah, her cat inherited fifteen million dollars. That's another reason not to like cats. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm, okay, don't email me. I don't know about you, but that you know it motivates me to be generous. When I participate in, 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 in the day when I get to meet people whom my giving has impacted. When we get to meet these children that the likelihood of us getting to meet here on planet Earth are really pretty slim. I can't afford to go to some of these places where they live. But you know what? I'll get to meet them in heaven. And I can't wait to meet Beatrice and Devotha, and Hector, and Julio, I mean, and all these kids. I received an email from a young dad in our church, and he said, after that last message, my wife and I went home, and we talked about giving, and we talked about greed. He said, and I think they already tied, but he said, we looked at our budget, and we decided we could do a little more than we're doing, and we want to begin to support a child through Compassion International. He said, my kids are too young to understand this, but I'm looking forward to them sharing in the years to come in this experience with us. And growing up where giving is just what we do. He's a smart dad. He knows to spend his money on something that will impact lives for eternity and to build that into his children. So that it just makes sense to them. Be wise. Be trustworthy. In the 16th chapter, we didn't get as far as the 10th verse, uh, but it says this. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted um, with much. And whosoever, whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. It's not about the amount. So... If you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who's going to give you property of your own? Who's, who's going who's to do that? He infers that his listeners have been entrusted with somebody else's property and they're just managing it for the owner. But this is the idea. You're just a manager too. We're just managers. You're not an owner. That one idea just kind of clicked with me and changed a lot of things. Everything you think you own, you actually just manage it. God owns it. Your house is God's. Your car is God's. All your toys are God's. Uh, God's looking at how we spend the money that we have because it's really his money. Have you ever worked with a financial planner? When you hire somebody to help you invest your money, one of the first questions they're going to ask is this. So what are your financial goals? Where are you headed? What do you want to do? do? What's the idea? This is because they understand it's not their money that you're giving them to do stuff with. It's still your money. So they're not going to sit down with you and say, yeah, I just need you to go ahead and start investing. And I, let me tell you, here are my financial goals. My wife and I are looking forward to, you know, taking a Mediterranean cruise next year. And we also would like to get uh, this certain new kind of car. And so what I'm going to do is take your money, and this is what I'm going to use it for. And I've got a couple of kids coming up, you know, they're headed to college. And so we're going we're to apply some of your funds toward that as well. And you go, no, 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 those aren't my goals. Those are your goals. You're just the manager. It's not your money. You get it? That's kind of what we do with God. We go, well, this is mine, and this is mine, and this is mine. And God's like, no, you misunderstand. It's all mine. You're managing these resources. And that just frees you up. And that just frees you up because you don't, you know, something's not yours. I used to work a job where I did the cash register. And a friend of mine did it. And and we had two registers at this kind of candy bar, ice cream bar, popcorn hot dogs bar. I mean, it was... It was a glorious time to be a teenager working because I just ate all that all, every day. It was the best job I ever had. So, but every night we'd empty these two registers and we'd see who made the most. You know? and it, but it wasn't our money. And then we'd just put it in a bag and we'd go on. But I just remember counting out all that money. I never thought, wow, I really made a lot more than you tonight. Look at this. No, you know what? We made exactly the same. We made the same. It's just because it wasn't our money. You get it? What you have... We're not, you know, it's like we, we use our resources to achieve God's goals. According to the scripture we just read, if we don't do that, we're not being trustworthy. The word trust or trusted or trustworthy appears five times in just verses 10 to 12. And let me ask you something, it's kind of personal. Would God say that you're Trustworthy. Would God say that you're pursuing his goals with his money that he's put into your care? There was a guy who was in business for himself, and his business really started taking off. And he was beginning to make a significant income. So he went to see his pastor and said, you know, pastor, I'm wrestling. I'm really wrestling with this generosity thing that you're talking about. When I made $50 a week, it just wasn't that big a deal to be generous. You tithe on $50 a week, and that's five bucks. I would toss that in the plate. It was easy to put five bucks in, but then I started making $500 a week, and the tithe became $50. (sighs) He said, that's a little harder, but I did it. You know, I put it in the offering. He said, now my business has just really taken off, and I'm making $5,000 a week. Uh, he said, I just, I just got to be honest with you. I can't bring myself to tithe on that much money. So, would you pray for me? And the pastor said to him, Yes, I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to pray that God reduces your income back down to a place where you feel comfortable tithing again. And he said, No, no, don't pray for me. <laughs> And it doesn't matter, it, it kinda, you know, it's not about how much money you make. It's not about the numbers. The question is, are you trustworthy with it? Whether you're working as a part-time babysitter, uh, or you're making half a million dollars a year as a business owner. It's God's money, and he just wants you to be trustworthy. And that, an, and that means an initial portion of that comes, comes back to him. You think, well, what if I don't do that? Well, in verse one, Jesus said, "If God can't trust you with just worldly wealth, uh, He's certainly not going to trust you with true riches." Now, people have kind of struggled with coming up with you know a variety of answers of what is He talking about? What's an explanation for true? What, that's not true riches. Then what is? What does He? What does He mean? Well, you, know, I, you know, I don't exactly know, but I do know that it might mean answers to prayer. If God's going to trust you. Um, with these things, and he can trust you with answers to prayers. It, it may be spiritual growth. He can trust you now that you've gotten past that ceiling, and uh, you know your relationship with God's just going to take off. Uh, I, I think that's really true. I think that's a big thing about it. It could be good relationships with other people because now you're not all about yourself. You're not so selfish, and you're freed up, and you know, your friends and your family. Uh, it may be spiritual riches. Uh, God says that spiritual riches come your way when you prove yourself trustworthy in handling things like that. I'm just going to tell you just an insight I have after been doing this for a long time and walking with the Lord for a while, been in ministry for over 30 years. Uh, my observation is that when people get this giving thing down, they take off. And until they start giving something is always holding back in their relationship with God. I mean, you might serve in some area of ministry, you might worship at, you know, our weekend services, you might study the Bible, you might join a community group, but there's something but you just never really take off in the way that you do when you you become a giver. And I haven't tracked that, I haven't written down people's names, but I just... I've seen that again and again and again and again. And I think that's why Jesus puts this here for a reason. God says, I'm not going to trust you with real riches, spiritual riches, things that have that kind of value until you prove yourself faithful in this regard. And then I'm going to just release that to you. A lady spoke to me after one of our services, and she said, we started coming to Calvary a few years ago, and it just so happened that you had spoken on giving. And we decided we're going to start giving. And she said, I can't can't explain it exactly, but that's when our relationship as a family with the Lord really took off. The last thing is to be devoted. In verse 13, Jesus concludes by saying this. He said, no servant can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So You just can't do it. You've got a choice and you've got to pick who you're going to serve. Are you going to serve God? Or are you going to serve money? Uh, I thought about how to illustrate that. And I thought in, in 1 Kings 17, it, there's this choice that this lady had to make. It was a time of drought in ancient Israel. And Elijah had nothing to drink and nothing to eat. So the Lord said to Elijah, Don't worry, I'm going to provide for you through this widow who's dead broke herself, but I'm going to provide for you through her in this little village called Zarephath. So go on to Zarephath. Go there. So Elijah does. He makes a trip. He gets to Zarephath, and he meets this widow, and he just goes up to her. I mean, she's sort of going about her life. Things aren't going so good And he says, would you give me a jar of water and a piece of bread? And she looks at him like he's crazy because everybody knows there's a drought and nobody has anything to eat. And she says, well, I'm down to my last handful of flour. I'm going to use this last I've got, and I'm going to make some bread for my son and myself. And then after we eat that, we're we're probably going to die. That's how poor we really are. Uh, and Elijah says, don't be afraid. <laughs> and you think, who is this guy who wants our stuff? Uh, and then he turns a corner, and he says something that sounds so Im- unsympathetic that it just kind of like takes your breath away. And you think, man, prophets are tough people. He says this. This is in verse, it's chapter 17, verse 14. says this. First, make, make something for me with the flower. And then you can make something for yourself and your son. And if you do this, God will replenish it. A total stranger shows up and says, I know you're really, really hungry, but I'm really, really hungry, so I want you to make something for me first. And then, you know, if there's something left over, you can have that. He says, just trust me with this. And it seems selfish, uh, but you have to understand that Elijah is not just speaking for himself. He's there as God's representative. He's just saying... This is really, I mean, his heart, he's got to be like, it's so embarrassing, and I don't, I know this doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't make sense to me either, and I would never ask her to do this, but God's telling me to, and I'm going to trust God, not just for me, but I'm going to trust him for her. It's a test of priorities, and God's like, I want you to make something. I want you to do something kind of different, so she takes up the challenge, And she gets her flower out, and she does this, and then the is renewed. And then it's renewed again, and then it's renewed again. And day after day after day, she has enough to eat. There's this principle there. There's no telling what God will do in your life if you put him first in the matter of money. That's why Jesus talked about it so much. So devote yourself to God. And how do you do that? I mean, you think, okay, I'm in. What do I do next? Well, you give, and you start giving in a consistent kind of a way so that there's a rhythm and a flow to that part of your life, just like in all the other spiritual disciplines. You give back this first portion of your paycheck. Now, ideally, in Scripture, a tithe is 10%. Uh, and some of you thinking, I knew it, I knew it. And what do I do with that? Well, you give it to the church. I knew you were going to say that because you're a pastor and now we see what you're doing. No, you know, but that's, that's just a, such a scriptural thing uh, to start giving that. And I know you may not be there yet and you think, well, I don't know. That sounds like a lot. Okay, then start with 2% or 5% or 7%. Just begin starting is the thing that's the the part if you just get going with it it's going to build momentum and then just up it a percent you know just just as you go along you think okay that feels pretty good i'm kind of liking that i'm going to move from five to seven i'm going to get to ten with that you go just start a trajectory you know just start Uh, and and like i say when you bring that in i think it's a good idea just to give to local church uh, and I'll tell you some reasons real quickly. One, one is just because of mission. You know, when you give your money towards efforts that connect people to Jesus, you're winning because they're going to live forever in God's eternal ki- kingdom and they're going to welcome you one day with open arms. And, and the church's mission is to connect people with Jesus. Every week, students get connected to Jesus through our ministry. People come to us with hurts and with problems and with habits and they just want to be free And they're connecting with Jesus. And every week we're supporting missionaries and pastors who are planting churches literally, without exaggerating, all over the world. And people are connecting with Jesus. I got a letter from one of our missionaries and said, this is how many people accepted Christ this year. This is how many churches we planted. And this is what we're doing right now and training pastors. And he said, you had a part in that. Thank you. We couldn't do that unless you were giving to that. And I could just go on and on and on but give to that which will connect people to Christ so that they be saved for all eternity. That's why the church is here. That's why we exist. And it's about mission. It's about like through faith promise what we're doing, but it's also what we're doing in our community, in Knoxville, and in this place. And that means staffing. Tithing originates in the Old Testament. The principal purpose for the tithe uh, was for those who worked in the local worship center. First, it was this tent tabernacle, and then later in the temple, it was to go to those people. Uh, Numbers 18.11 says that a tithe is to be used for that. Paul picks up on that in the New Testament. He says every church ought to support their pastors. They ought to support the people that are there. And I'm grateful, and I don't say this because some of them are in the room, uh, but we have, I think, the best staff, I think the, the best guys we've ever had. The men and women who show up here every day during the week and work and do the things, I think it's the best team we've ever had. And I love getting to be a part with you of resourcing uh, these folks. They, they teach God's word. They lead in worship. They mentor and train people. We couldn't do a lot of anyth- what we do without lots of volunteers. But these are the people who recruit and train and shepherd those volunteers. I got another email from a guy who says this. um, I've been a regular cash giver, but now I'm up for the challenge of tithing. I'm in. So this week, I'm going to give 8%. Still not really a tithe, but okay. Uh, He says, next week, I'm going to try to do it up. I'm going to go up. I'm kind of of excited and kind of scared. Calvary, I love this line. Calvary has changed my life, and I want to give back. Thank you. I love that. Some of your emails, I just delete. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, but that one, I just I have it where it pops up every week. Now, there's just one other thing that this does when we give. it's, just, it's a, When we know where it's going is the accountability of it. Because I'm like you. I'm a little cynical. When I was a new believer and I first started walking with the Lord, I gave to things that impressed me. Or, and there was one guy in particular who I just was a sucker for, and I just, I gave money to his ministry, and later realized, no, he's, that's not where I want my money to go, so I'm kind of cynical. I want to know what's going on with it, and that's why I think the local church is a really smart place to give, uh, because I kind of know where it's going. There's accountability to that. Don't give to anything without accountability, because a lot of people would love to take your money. Calvary's accountable with people and organizations that we give money to. Uh, you can give to our missions organizations, and you, know, and you can give to stuff independently of Calvary. And, and I get that. We do that too. But when you give through faith promise, you know we're going to be asking and, and just checking all along the way. Hey, where's this going and what's going on with that and how are you guys doing and and tell us about your ministry. And then at the missions, you know, the banquet that we have every year like we just had, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we get to hear in person. And they set up all these tables and you get to walk right up to them and go, so... So, what are do you doing with my dollar a week that I'm sending you? you know I mean you know some some of you and and other you know say, hey, what what oh my goodness, we had no idea you know when when Brian was sharing this year Brian and Christy Ward about how they're taking scripture and training materials and putting it on you know these chips and 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 cards to plug into their phones and I just thought that's. That's brilliant. I love that idea. And it's just going out all these places. And I just think, yeah, yeah, you're, di-. you know, I wouldn't have thought of that. But he thought of that. So I think that's what we do. And that's, that's what happens. That's what happens. So here's the thing uh, make God first in your use of the money, give him a tithe, or at least start becoming a regular giver and make that first check you write after you get your paycheck give that back to god because he has a reward in store for you you're going to be investing in things that connect people to jesus and I just, I've been hooked on this thought all week, and I've said it a couple of times already, but one day these folks are going to come up to you, and they're going to greet you in heaven, and they're going to say, thank you for your generosity. That's why I'm here. And, and I won't promise he's going to give to you, make you materially wealthy, and this this scheme, and all you've got to do is give, and God's going to keep piling it on, and you're going to, it's not about that but I, ab, I, and I don't make a lot of guarantees, but I absolutely guarantee you, you're going to be overwhelmed with spiritual blessings. and You wouldn't trade his reward for the reward you would have gotten by holding on to it. So be wise, be trustworthy, and be devoted. You're going to love those rewards. You really are. When I first started in ministry, um, even before I was in ministry, um there was this lady I met she was an older lady she was the grandmother of one of my friends she lived in Meridian Mississippi and we were driving through there and she prayed for us and I wasn't walking with the Lord at the time and it was real obvious to her and she knew about our lifestyle at that moment and anyway she prayed over us I didn't think a lot about it but it was soon after that just actually several days after that I came to to begin to walk with Christ, and my life changed. Six months later, I felt this call into ministry and began to think, okay, I'm going to sell everything I have, and I did, and I'm going to go to school, and I'm going to start, I'm going to begin this this journey and this process. Well, she came to visit my friend. Our paths crossed again, and and I just couldn't wait. I just could not wait to tell her, you're not going to believe this, but I'm following Jesus, and guess what else? God's calling me into ministry, and I'm—I mean, I'm the biggest redneck there ever was. I have no idea. I just uh, everything about me was not God's dream come true. Thinking, oh, we're so glad we got him in the draft. You know, it was like he—I was the guy at the very bottom of the bench on my fantasy team, and my fantasy team is not up. I mean, I'm that guy, and uh, but God's calling me to the ministry, and I tell her that, and oh, she's so sweet. Well, she disappears into this back room where she's standing, and she comes back out and she's got something in her hand and she puts it in my hand and folds my hand around it. You know, and she does this very discreetly so that nobody can see. It's a $10 bill. I look at it and she's very neatly folded it up into this little square. And I unfold it and she, she said this. She said, when you get to the place where you don't have anything else, you've exhausted everything and you're praying for God to give you she says, this is the answer to the prayer. God's answering your prayer because you're going to be broke, and <laughs> you know, there's going to be those times, and you're not going to know what to do, and when you get down to where there's nothing, you've got nothing left, you'll have this. So I took it home, and for years, I put it in this little box I have with this little tab, and i, I tucked it down in there, and I just kept it. And every now and then, I would get so desperate. I mean, literally, I didn't have anything. You know, I felt like that widow. I'm like, seriously, this is it? And and I would think, oh, I've got that 10. But if I use the 10, that means I'm really done. I mean, I'm like at the end of everything, and I just... I don't think I'm there yet. And somehow, every time, every time, something would happen, and I'd get get past it. That was a long time ago. Three and a half, four decades ago. (laughs) I mean, it was a long time. After a while, in 1982, when I got ordained to the ministry, somewhere, I found that, and I took it out, and I unfolded it, and I took it, and I taped it to the front of my ordination certificate. She has since passed away. She's gone to be with the Lord. She's in heaven, but that $10 bill is, I should have brought it in the room. It's, it's in my office right now, and if you've ever been in there, you can say, Hey, show that to me, and I'll just point it because it's just taped right there. And it always just reminds me, I just still haven't been able to bring myself to spend it. And when I was preparing for this day and for this message, I had this thought. I looked up at it and I thought, Oh, God, just bless her, you know, and I just can't wait. One day, I'm going to come barging into heaven, and I'm going to look for a lot of people, I'm going to see her, and I just can't wait to say, thank you for believing in me. My family didn't believe in him. My, My friends laughed at me. I mean, even other people would question, going, oh, I don't know. Are you on the right track? Are you sure? Are you sure God's telling you to do this? You know? And I began to question, but she didn't doubt. I'm going to say, Thank you for that. Thank you for that. And here's the part that I, th- I think God's telling me, Oh, Dan, look, turn the page. There's another chapter. I think one day, God's going to give me the freedom to pull that tape off and to take that tin off and to give it to someone in the next generation who's going into ministry. Maybe it'll be one of you guys. And I will say, when you're down to your last dollar and you're dead broke, Use this. It's God's answer to prayer for your needs when you don't have anything left. And I will pass away. And then you'll come one day to heaven and I'll be waiting there. See, that's why we give. We change lives through it. Don't miss out by holding on to it buying another thing. Would you stand? Let me pray that God would open our hearts. Father, I'm holding on to this jar. I'll put my hand on this jar just as a way to say thank you for all the blessings in this jar. Every rock in here represents victories and answers to prayer and beautiful things that you've done. And the most precious of these to me are the relationships they represent the people you've brought into my life and the lives you've changed. Would you free our hearts up today to be givers? We know how. We know what to do. It's just a matter now of following through, being obedient, doing the next right thing and just giving it away. Use this church In our ministry, Father, to be faithful and trustworthy as we manage what you flow through us for your glory, for your plan, for what you have in your heart. In Jesus' name.